It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling welcome everyone to another huge edition of reliving the war this is the podcast exclusive to the gray wolf wrestling network where we go back and look at the monday night wars we relive the wars we're up to 1998 february 1998 as we speak january i think is safe to say was won by the wwf royal rumble severely pensing uh sold out 1998 here we are for the February pay-per-view, the road to WrestleMania. And we've got a little bit of a road bump here as I'm joined by my tag team partner, Simon Tackler, who isn't a mystery as is the uh, one of the participants in the main event here, Simon. Yeah, I know. We should have had a mystery guest for this show to sort of uh, go with the theme here. But yeah, that is the theme of the show. Who is replacing Shawn Michaels? And uh, I was telling you the other day, obviously off air, but as a kid, I only ever watched this show once and I've had like a grudge against it for over 20 years because as a kid, Shawn Michaels was my favorite wrestler and knowing that he was pulled from this show just annoyed me so much. So I went into this with real low expectations because I was just planning on hating it. Uh, we'll get to it, but I got to say, I actually had a lot of fun watching this very silly show. Yeah, I, I was pretty much the exact same as you. Um. It's weird because with a lot of the 1998 pay-per-views and 99, my my memory sort of either jogs forward or jogs backwards. Like sometimes I think I'll remember a pay-per-view. Like for, for some reason, I thought this was the pay-per-view where, where Dude Love uh, took on Stone Cold Steve Austin. But then my timeline got mixed up. I'm like, no, wait, I think it's over the edge, not no way out. So there's just that many. And Austin was the main event of so many of these pay-per-views back in 98, 99. And the, the lower card was so interchangeable. Like there was always the Ken Shamrock match. There was always a headbangers. There was always this. So it was really hard. So I went in sort of a bit confused, but at the same time, as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> so, which is the whole point of doing this podcast, but let's get straight into this because, so we start off with No Way Out. Now, funnily enough, it's the paper is called No Way Out, but it's branded as No Way Out of Texas. Is that I correct? Be- I believe it was called No Way Out of Texas, but once it hit home video, they just shortened it to No Way Out. Uh, and this is also the last in your house. Yeah. Um, in terms of being a, you know, like a in your house, No Way Out. This was No Way Out. And it still had some in your house branding, but the stage was just No Way Out. So it was kind of all over the place, but we're def- definitely transitioning away from what we've seen for the past couple of years in terms of the non-Big Four events. 
Yeah, and we've still got the, which is, you're right, it's so weird to sort of see like the old school block WWF logo that's uh, that's on the apron, hanging from the uh, from the rafters, the little uh, corners that they normally sort of do, the old school block WWF logo. So it's, it's a bit strange to sort of see that the house is gone, as you mentioned, and it's just got like that sort of gritty wire mesh fencing sort of thing that was really big back in the attitude era but um uh, like as the legend goes apparently they called it no way out of texas because the initials are nwo so having a wwf nwo pay-per-view they were just like well we're gonna change this <laughs> i never noticed that i thought that played into it later when the nwo actually debut at no way out and you know they changed the letters on the logo i wouldn't have thought that you know, they didn't realize that No Way Out stood for NWO and that was an issue. Yeah, so that's, look, that could be the truth. That could not be, but uh, it's it's weird that they, they seem to really like to add Texas to their pay-per-view names. Like, obviously, had Tuesday in Texas, No Way Out of Texas. It's just, they love Texas, it seems. But let's get straight into the pay-per-view because we start off with a video intro. And the thing that really stands out, we've mentioned so many times how good the WWF's pay, um, pay-per-view and video intros are, but... What jumped out for me is, except for, say, Vader, HBK, and Owen, all of these guys, brand new superstars. They're all Attitude Era guys. Yeah, that was really cool because it was highlighting how everybody's attitude in the WWE has changed, whether they're a heel or a face. Had the great voiceover from Jim Fagan and the dramatic music. But yeah, a lot of the superstars highlighted have only become stars in the past year if that so it really made it look like this is not the same wrestling of five years ago because if you want yeah. that go to wcw basically <laughs> exactly and we get straight into our and a perfect example of that is our first match uh, mark Mero versus the artist formerly known as goldust no mark Mero and goldust versus the headbangers so when we did the first sort of episodes of reliving the war goldust was you know He's, uh, was it eccentric? Um, oh, every word. Eccentric, and androgynous. Androgynous, uh, bizarre, yeah. You know. Anything to not say that, you know, he was just a flamboyantly, portray- a flamboyant portrayal of like, you know, a stereotype homosexual. And Mark Merrow was the wild man. <laughs> now he's marvellous Mark Merrow versus the artist formerly known as Goldust. They take on the headbangers. And all I can say is, out of the gate, Sable is probably the most over person in the ring right now. Yeah, it was kind of a fun dynamic. So Mero and Sable make their way to the ring. Mero is booed, then Sable is cheered. And like every time the camera cuts to either one or each time one of them enters the ring, that was really cool. I thought they're definitely onto something with this character. I made note of it, but this version of Mark Mero is pretty entertaining. And you can mm. see why... They could have run with it. He had an injury and, you know, there was some tension with Steve Austin, but it's a fun gimmick. And then we get Goldust, who's really into the thick of his, you know, artist formerly known as Goldust shtick. He's got Luna with him. He's dressed kind of like Marilyn Manson here. Mm, And yeah, yeah. to, to see how far both guys and characters have come in a year and a half or whatever, it's just, yeah, crazy. If this was, you know, even... 12 months ago i guarantee you this would be against the smoking guns or something but uh we were we've got them up against the headbangers the former wwf tag team champs the headbangers i mentioned i think it was when we, when we watched the that pay-per-view where they won 
the uh, the WWF tag team titles that I can't ever remember them winning, but always remembered them being referred to as WWF tag team champs. They haven't won the belts since then. Um, one thing that I did enjoy was there's a sort of WCW trope of constantly talking about the main event throughout this entire pay-per-view. Mm. Yeah, which is a little bit kind of bash at the beach 96, you know, who's the mystery man for DX as opposed to the NWO. So we kind of had that, but they were definitely pushing who is replacing Shawn Michaels. That was the big story of the whole show. Yeah. Uh, I've got to say, this match is fairly pedestrian. It's your regular attitude era sort of fair here. Mero, though, as you mentioned, he's clearly, he's the clear heel and he's at least getting a reaction, but the crowd really only reacts throughout the entire match. Like they're, they're not sitting on their hands. They're into it, but they're not like, you know, shouting from the rafters or cheering or booing or anything like that. But it's when you see Sable come back, because at the start of the match, she gets sent to the back because she, because Mark Merrow says there's only enough room here for one attractive woman and sends Sable to the back. When she returns, she gets a monster pop. Yeah. Oh, well, the last few minutes of this match really heat up. And it's like a tale of two um, thoughts of how to put together a show. So whereas WCW would sometimes think, we don't have a story for this match, but they're two really good wrestlers. We're going to send them out and they're going to win over the crowd with wrestling. WWE, on the other hand, with a match like this, look, the match might not be a five-star, let alone a three-star classic or whatever. But there's so much happening to keep you entertained and interested. We have the mm-hmm. drama with Will Sable come back. We have Luna interfering on the outside. We have Mero being jealous of the crowd anytime they chant Sable. And the headbangers were pretty over still, even here. Like we saw how popular they were in England for some reason when they became <laughs> yeah. champs and beat Los Bariquas. But they've <laughs> still got a lot of goodwill here. And they're not, no, no one in this match is a bad wrestler. Like, it's not an amazing match, but there's so much weird, fun stuff happening that you kind of just can't look away, you know? And the commentary, honestly, I thought JR and King, they keep getting better now that Vince is never there with them. But I thought they held the show together and this match was an example of how fun they could be. 100%. And it's, it's also one of those things, too, where you're right, they... If you swap the channel over, you've got, uh, you know, probably to start off a WCW paper, you've got maybe Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, the entire roster of these awesome wrestlers. Whereas these guys, they're not really up to that level. But at the same time, they, they've got character work that runs circles around guys like Malenko and Benoit and, and uh, guys like Perry Santon and stuff like that. What I thought was really awesome too was you always had creative finishes in the Attitude Era. And this is one of the best ones. As you said, the narrative of will Sable come out? What will she do when she comes out? Whose side side will she be on? (laughs) All those shenanigans that leads to the headbangers doing a switch after they take Mark Merrow's finishing move. Is the TKO still his finisher? TKO, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, like, it's it's just so awesome because it's so smart. The fact that um, Thrasher swaps himself out uh swaps mosh out for him just shows that you know they're actually smart dudes even though that like because how often do you see dumb wrestlers like you know where dean dean ambrose broke one of the my, my favorite tropes when he was in the wwf uh wwe sorry where someone tried to attack him from behind in the ring while he's looking at the entrance ramp but he dodged it and attacked them back and then cut a promo afterwards going 
you're trying to sneak up on me there's a giant screen in front of yeah, yeah <laughs> like, exactly so, so i like that the headbangers have used a little bit of mind games here yeah it was a really creative ending like you said that was almost the difference with the wwe and wcw in this era sable comes out she wants to fight luna on the outside everyone including the ref is distracted mero hits the tko just before this so when he's distracted the headbangers do twin magic the crowd is watching all of this happening so they're getting louder and louder when the three count happens regardless of how they were reacting earlier in the match they get a gigantic reaction and then the post-match stuff because sable like you know is pushing luna and everyone breaks them up like they're Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. And they never <laughs> touch, though. They do a great job of, like, you've got to wait till WrestleMania to see them fight. But the crowd just gets louder and louder. So for the the ending and the post-match, you can give that five stars. Like, the crowd loved it. Sable got a massive pop when she pushes over Mark Merrow as well. Oh, and yeah. another cool thing, talk you talk about how, like, the audience can see everything that's going on and bloody, bloody, blah. blah, blah. The camera work is fantastic because it focuses on everything that happens. You can see very clearly that the ref's distracted by the shenanigans. You can see, like, you know, and the commentary even bring it up to, like, you know, the wait a minute, like, it's just so well done for a match that involves Mark Merrow and Goldust versus the Headbangers. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's so much little attention to detail there. Um, we get to our next little segment, which is Owen Hart. It's a it's a promo where he talks about coexisting with Stone Cold and goes on and on about saying that it'll break Triple H's legs. I've got to give kudos to Owen Hart here because he fits the Attitude Era. Like he's, he, he's evolved a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah, I really liked Owen Hart's last few years as a character because he really did change as much as he needed to. You know, I don't think he gets enough credit there. Um, we noticed it, I think it was in 96, uh, when Brett was away, Owen Hart really evolved as a character. Yeah. Then when Brett came back and formed the Heart Foundation, Owen had to take sort of the secondary role, almost, you know, the enforcer type role, or, you know, he's the intercontinental guy while Brett's the main event. But it felt like when Owen gets a chance to break out, he is great and he can be a different character. We're seeing it here, like, you know, badass babyface Owen Hart, who says he's going to bust Triple H's legs. With <laughs> yeah. Weird choice of words but okay cool and also did you see him he dramatically paused on his last line he's like i'm gonna bust your legs and he like freeze frame with his finger out but then the camera kept rolling and you see him just like drop the character completely and just put his head down like it's like yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny it's kind of like come on ah oh, look I'm, I'm finished here <laughs> um we get to our universal sign that the next match is going to be crappy because sunny comes out and at this point in time, you really got to feel for Sonny because he's such a bit player. It's like, you want to talk about people that fit in the Attitude Era? Sonny doesn't seem like she fits at all, does she? Really weird because you'd think that she would have. She's such a great performer, great character, good at everything. But for whatever reason, like, she doesn't have a defined role anymore. You know, hmm. we saw Marlena with Goldust. We've seen Sable with Mero. You know, Luna is with Goldust. Everyone sort of has has a place, but Sonny is just like an MC. And time is running out. Like, yeah, she was still obviously selling posters and magazines, but there needed to be more. She, You know, she could have been doing on TV. It was weird. 
And I, I, as I was sort of watching, I was just trying to think, like, but what could she have done? Like, what could she really have sort of, like, because when you sort of think about it, if there was anyone that didn't need to change from that sort of transition into the Attitude Era, you'd think it was Sunny because she, like you said, she was selling the posters. She was really popular. It's like, why break something that ain't, uh, why fix something that ain't broke? But look, the proof's in the pudding there. As we get to the uh, the match, uh, it's Pantera versus Takamichinoku for the light heavyweight championship. Now, Brian Christopher comes out on commentary here. And I got to say, out of all the light heavyweight matches that we've seen, this one seems to be the most WCW cruiserweight style I felt. Yeah, they really let these guys lean into their style and just sort of like go for it more than we normally would see, especially when Brian Christopher is in the match. Like he's a great wrestler, but he's not the style of Taka or Pantera. Or there was that great match with Taka and the great Sasuke from yeah. um, Canadian Stampede. That's a, this was more along those lines. Uh, and it was good. And you said Brian Christopher walked out. He strutted out. And he was almost <laughs> sneaking like a cartoon character to get to yeah, commentary. Yeah, the lights weren't even out, yeah. too. Like, he was, it was really well done. And it kind of makes a bit of sense. Because if a dude was a rival of Tucker, like, you know, if he wanted that belt, he he he's a heel and he claims that he wants that belt. He's not going to get his own entrance. He's going to get, like, it's there's those little added bits of realism that I really enjoyed. One thing, though, that I did not, did not enjoy is the freaking the commentary from King and Brian Christopher because it did not age well, has it? <laughs> I, I love the commentary. I oh. thought the commentary made the match. No, no, there were definitely some things they should not have said. <laughs> and I'm shocked one line in particular hasn't been edited off the network and Peacock. But I thought them denying that they're related and making fun of JR, like poor JR cops it in this match and you know them just you know trashing both wrestlers but yeah there was a lot of commentary that is you know best left in 1998 like yeah christopher at one point calls a dive from pantera the taco twister and -hmm. another time the burrito buster and you're meant to hate them they're meant to be terrible people but yeah just definitely not a good look yeah, there's one where Brian Christopher calls Takamichinoku uh, slant-eyed. I can't uh, believe that isn't off the network. I know, I know. I cannot believe that either, especially considering the fact they went to the effort to edit the Hulk Hogan week coming after you, that one from WCW. But I guess, you know, there's levels of... And, and there's, like, I will I will happily let... Like, there's it's such a fine line because, like, King saying something like, oh, just ask any American who won. Like, Japanese people are losers. Like, that part, that's just being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk. Brian Christopher's line is just like, whoa, dude. Yeah, yeah, no. Shouldn't be on a broadcast (laughs) at all. Um, There was another funny, I thought this line was funny. So when King was saying that America was better than Japan, he said even Barney could beat up Godzilla. Of course, Barney being Barney the Dinosaur, a very hmm. 90s reference, but I thought that was a funny line. Uh, King also said to JR when he was saying that, you know, how him and Christopher aren't related, but if they were, at least they get along. He said yeah. that JR has three girls and even he got stood up at the father-daughter dance. I thought that was a funny line. <laughs> That's pretty good. JR just has to sit there. <laughs> the thing I like, I love how JR keeps doing it, is you need to control your boy. And the, <laughs> yeah, your boy. And, and, and King's indignation that like that is not my son just 
does make for it. But we shouldn't take anything away. The match is also fantastic. There's some pretty cool moves. Like, you're right, they do go balls to the wall. Within the first even five minutes, not even the first five minutes, in the first two minutes, they're doing planches and springboards to the outside. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Pantera hits a swanton over the ropes to the outside on Tucker, who is lying down on the floor. Like, Mm. these guys are doing crazy stuff. So you kind of had the best of both worlds. Honestly, if you want to watch the match and black out the commentary, you could. If you want to listen to the commentary and just be uh, shocked at what they were getting away with, then, you know, you get Mm. a bit of everything. Also, King um, getting JR to his breaking point is always good. Anytime JR cracks is good. And he got so angry by the end of it. And he went back at Christopher saying that he doesn't know how to speak English. Because, you know, he kept saying Tucker can't even speak English, but he used the double negative. And JR was like, oh, Brian, you're using double negatives. He's like, who doesn't know English now? He's like, he ain't not, not no, no English. And he just, oh, it's so just good. Got yeah. on him. It was good. I, th- I think the, the only thing that lets, and it's one of those little things in comedy that I, I think that really sort of skirts that fine line. The fact that JR holds Brian Christopher and um, JR and King accountable for everything and is, is sort of like basically delicately smooths over all of the, the outrageous stuff they say, kind of does sort of fix it up a little bit. But let's get to the ending of the match because the Michinoku driver gets the win and then Sunny reappears again. And you remember, oh, that's <laughs> right. She, she was ringing out. So, but post-match, Brian Christopher goes to confront Taka Michinoku with King as well. King tries to stop him, and Taka does a crossbody to and takes out both Law, uh, Lawlers. And JR sounds like the happiest man on the planet at that time. Yeah, and that's where they paid it off. So when Taka knocks both Lawlers down, JR celebrating on commentary. The crowd's loving it. It wraps up the segment. And I made note here. So this segment specifically, because it's two light heavyweights, really highlighted the difference in philosophy. Because yeah. WCW had better technical wrestling, you know, in terms of the mid card. But these shows, especially as we're getting into 98, WWE shows just had a weird energy and excitement. Even if the wrestling wasn't good, 20 whatever years later, it's watchable, even as a freak show. And you're like, oh, this is fun. Look at all this chaos. Yeah. Oh, you were spot on there. And and it's even, and I'll definitely get into it when we get to our next match, because even the bad matches are palatable like you are you're not sitting there going oh like sold out was painful painful to watch yeah felt like um, it went for seven hours i know whereas these matches that go by quick and the or i think maybe it's a combination of the audience is jacked everyone's so pumped you really do feel and i know it sounds cliche but you feel like you don't know what's going to happen next it's very very cool sort of atmosphere that i really wish that was able to be sort of picked up again uh in modern wrestling these days but um uh <laughs> my last note that i've written here is jr sounds like he's having so much fun calling um <laughs> calling brian christopher king's son yeah he loves it yeah um we'll get to a little online spot it's uh ring of honors kevin kelly chatting to mick foley and terry funk and uh both of them threaten the outlaws and the thing that i love about this is like keyword wwf like Back in the day where things had like AOL keywords. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. I got to say, this was a segment where it's two guys who you would expect knew nothing about the internet in 1998 Mm. with Terry Funk and Mick Foley. But because they're both two of the best talkers ever, even with 30 seconds in a throwaway spot for the internet, 
both guys cut a pretty good short promo, even though yep. there's no expectation to do so because we've seen so many guys like just be like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited about my match. I don't mm-hmm. know what's happening on both shows, but these guys knocked it out of the park, I thought. Loved it. Absolutely love that. And it was shortened to the point. I yeah. moved on to the next thing. It's unlike the mean gene ones where they sort of drag on a little bit. Uh, it, it's just quick to the point and done. Uh, our next match. Now, this is this. I've, I've, I'm going to put it straight out there. This was where it sort of lulled. But even then, it was kind of entertaining. It's the Quebecers versus the Godwins. We talked about at the start of the paper how it was all fresh and new and you were seeing new faces. If there's any relic from like 1995, it is this match. And I, st- I want to point out, all I was thinking was just like, can't believe that PCO still wrestles today. Like he's in impact in 2022 as a wrestler. It's crazy. It's weird to um, think that this guy out of everyone on this show is an indie kind of favorite. And, you know, like, uh, yeah, real weird. Absolute crazy uh, craziness there. But I-, I thought it was a really plotting start and it really cooled down the crowd after the last match. Yeah, honestly, this was the low light of the show. And after two exciting matches, whether regardless of their, you know, in-ring quality, they were fun. The crowd has been into the whole show. This definitely felt like, you know, the lull. Maybe it was on purpose to cool the crowd down again for a little bit, but maybe I'm giving them too much credit there. Because, yeah, this match feels like it's straight out of 1995. Yeah, uh, regardless it, 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 of these, who's heel or face. I don't think anyone yeah. was a heel or a face here. I didn't know what was happening. Yeah, it was kind of telling to me a little bit because it seemed like halfway through the match, JR and King just started talking about the rest of the match, like the rest of the evening. <laughs> yeah. Like they were just sort of went, ah, oh, look, let's just get through this. One thing that I did love, there's a great line about the Godwins. Um, JR says something along the lines of like, um, uh, do you reckon they've got a washer and dryer? And King says that they're so deep south they need to pipe in sunshine. Oh, wow. <laughs> King had some good lines in this, actually, because the Godwins are from Arkansas, which is where Bill Clinton is from. Mm. Um, it's real weird watching some of these shows back, though. Like, it's not a surprise now as an adult to figure out where WWE leaned politically. But watching it back, King has a line here where they're talking about Clinton and he's like, don't get me started on Clinton. Where's Lee Harvey Oswald when the, his country Ooh. really needs him? And I was like, Jeez. God damn. Like, <laughs> how, he's literally asked for the assassination of the president in public. Jeez. And I thought, wow. But Live on pay-per-view. <laughs> he didn't edit that one out either. Like, yeah, that's pretty full on. Well, I'm pretty sure you, 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 you should be arrested for that. <laughs> I don't know. Well, the, the weird thing too is like, and just to give you a sign of the times, so the Confederate flag right near the entranceway in the crowd, like that's another one that sort of really stood out. And you're like, oh, geez, there we go. Mm. Um, one other one, uh, like as we get towards the end of the match, there's a Quebec Quebec um, crash for a two count, but a cheap shot got uh, Finney Scott in the win. They lay out the Quebecers with slot buckets at the end. And he gets a minor pop. And I wonder if it's because the audience knew, oh, thank Christ, it's over. It was more, thank God, it's over. I don't think they cared who was going to win this one. Um, Correct. Weird to see this match on a pay-per-view at all in 98. Honestly, I figured both guys, uh, sorry, both teams were done. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one other little interesting thing, too, that I thought very much... It- is it just me or does it look like the Godwins have just checked out here? Like, yeah, right? I know. In every match that we've seen, it looks like they're like, 
Ah, the hell with this. <laughs> I know they're meant to be heels now, but it comes across as more like, yeah, I hate my job as opposed to I hate these people. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, we get to the next little segment, which is Doc Hendricks with the Outlaws. What I thought was interesting here was um, they went with an interesting angle of they don't even know who the eighth man is in the tag team match because you know how normally Triple H does it later. I was like, I'm not telling you anything, you stupid stooge. It's just like, <laughs> how dare you ask me this question? But um, they show some real passion here. And it's so weird to think these two guys, we just saw Billy Gunner's rockabilly job out in his introductory match to Jesse James and how far they've come in literally just over 12 months. If that... Yep. And now they're cutting promos. They're in the main event. They're the tag champs. They're associated with the top heel faction. They are on the way. And I've got to say, like, don't want to bitch about current day things or how good things used to be. But one hallmark of the Attitude Era, especially, when someone caught fire, they would just be like, cool, we're going with it 100%. Mm. None of this, like, uh, maybe we'll push him in a year or something. It was like, no, the outlaws make sense. They're doing good stuff. Let's make him tag champs. That's it. And yeah, it feels natural. You see them do this promo and you're like, oh yeah, of course they're in this spot. Yeah. And it's, like you said, we'll link it back to current day product. Someone like Braun Strowman. Remember how hot he was? It was like the most literally overdued in the WWE at that time. Did nothing. Cooled down so much. Put him in a comedy spot at WrestleMania. Then, next thing you know, when they finally give him the world title, it means absolutely zip, nothing. And then he gets released. Yep, too little, too late. But in this era, there was none of that. It was, all right, we got to do everything we can. Yeah. Um, Ahmed Johnson uh, leads, which really sort of caught me off guard because they did one of those attitude, those WWE attitude spots. This is the same ad that we saw debut at survivor series am i right just with bret hart taken out i don't know if anyone takes his spot but it's that same ad uh it's the one you know try lacing my boots and i've been injured this many times great video amazing happy to see it on every pay-per-view uh i think no one actually replaced bret it's just literally a straight cut out okay yeah Uh, at least i didn't notice anyone new because everyone sort of it, it was seemed the same to me. I was just like, hmm, someone's missing. Something's different. <laughs> Ahmed Johnson, though, they were clearly still invested in him. Like, if he could have stayed healthy, I really think he could have at least been a good, you know, the amazing mid-card of the Attitude Era. Yeah. I think he could have could have been a big part of it still. Well, let's look. We, we always mention this, and I know we sound like two old dudes that are rambling about how to fix the wrestling business, but a guy like Val Venus... Like, he wasn't going to be a world champion ever, but he was a solid guy that popped the crowd. Same with Buff Bagwell. You don't have guys like that anymore, but, um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, speaking of mid-carders, uh, next up, it's Jeff Jarrett with the NWA. <laughs> and he's taking on Bradshaw. And um, Jarrett has Jim Cornette, Barry Windham, and the Rock and Roll Express with him. Barry Windham turned on Bradshaw and broke up the new Blackjacks, uh, which... I'm sure it was devastating to the three fans that probably cared about it. But um, what I thought was really cool was, you know, it, it it was old school NWA in sense of like, you know, like the Jim Cornette still has his managerial license. So he gets to stay ringside, but everyone else has to leave. I did like that. That was a nice touch though, because um, Cornette was outraged that, you know, his guys were being kicked out and, you know, the crowd popped for it. Um, 
nice payday for the Rock and Roll Express and Barry Windham, though. They literally walked out and walked back and they never reappeared. It wasn't like, you know, they, they did later on, but like they were barely there. What a great night of work for them. Mm-hmm. And so all I got to say is now this is 1998, right? The Rock and Roll Express looks ancient. Like they just looked so old in 1998 and they're still wrestling now. They wrestled FTR like a month ago. (laughs) It really is weird. I don't know how old those guys are. I really need to Google it because I'm sure we're going to be shocked. I'm sure even though, you know. If uh, you say that they're like 52 or something, that'll do me. Um, (laughs) Imagine that. Oh, 68, 78, 88, 98. Oh, okay. So Robert Gibson was 40 here. Okay. Well, he must have done a lot of partying in the 80s because <laughs> he did not look 40 here. AJ Styles is 40 odd now. Edge yeah, I know. Pushing That's true. You're right. And uh, Ricky Morton is 65 now. So that makes him about, he was about 42. 40. Yeah. Yeah. Look, aside aside from um, <laughs> Bradshaw starting off the match by beating Jarrett with a pair of chaps, this is very much a stock standard Jeff Jarrett match. Now, I don't know if you've seen a, many Jeff Jarrett matches, but it's basically, oh, wait, it's just, it's like the same shtick that he did in WCW, taunting the crowd, getting all the heat, and he gets an incredible amount of heat. He, Jeff Jarrett is the epitome of work smarter, not harder. Oh, I loved it. You know me. I like Jeff Jarrett a lot. And anytime he's not wrestling Mongo, I'm a fan of Jeff Jarrett. (laughs) And this was great. We got to see him wrestle someone other than Mongo and have a long match. And Bradshaw is kind of underrated, to be honest. The more you look Mm. back at his work, Bradshaw was into it. They were in Texas. He was the ass kicker and the baby face. And not only was he belting him with the chaps, but my God, Bradshaw was living up to the reputation of being stiff or whatever. He was beating the crap out of Jeff Jarrett in this match. 100%. (laughs) Like he was taking him to the woodshed. That's how how much. And like, and because of that, the crowd was loving it. Like the thing, the thing that really got me, there's a point in time where JR calls uh, Jeff Jarrett a youngster. And for some reason, I just found that really funny. Well, he said that, and I Googled it. Jeff Jarrett was legit only 30 here, and he had already felt like being on TV forever. It's... That's BS. He, well, in the, if that's the case, he's already been in WCW, gone to WWF, gone back to WCW, yeah. and now he's back in WWF. All by the age of 30. Jeff Jarrett has lived like 10 wrestling lifetimes. <laughs> he's just he's just continuously clocking the game. Like, what else did he have gone everywhere <laughs> yeah. multiple times? But I got to say, the combination of Bradshaw just going for it in Texas and the crowd being behind him and Jeff Jarrett and Jim Cornette just being old school heels was a good combination because Corny's cheating. Jeff Jarrett's trying to cheat as well. You know, Bradshaw gets revenge by giving him the double head knocker on the outside. It's just (laughs) this match was out of the 80s in the best possible way. And, you know, you don't see a lot of it now. So this was fun to look back at, I thought. Yeah, um, Jeff Jarrett gets the DQ uh, by nailing Bradshaw with the tennis racket. There's a bit in that too where Jeff Jarrett, we're well, not Jeff Jarrett, JR's like, I think that I'm pretty sure that's not a tennis racket in there. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I know there's something other than a racket in there. <laughs> you know what? Jim Cornette does one of my favorite tricks in this match too. He did it when we saw Vader and Shawn Michaels wrestle. He'll figure out what the crowd is going to chant, like, you know, for the good guy. And he'll bang the mat kind of pretending that he's cheering for his guy. 
Yeah. So he was like doing, I, I don't know the, uh, what was the beat in this one. It was like, dun, 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 but it was like Jeff Jarrett sucks or whatever. And then yeah. he'll be angry at the crowd saying, no, no, don't cheer that. And he'll try and cheer Jeff he'll try. to the beat that they're cheering. It's, you know, basic psychology. It's brilliant. And and it just proves like, you know, he's like such a, like it's, it's just such a shame he's such a bitter old man because he's such a very, very smart brain there. I did like um how LOD comes out at the end just to really sort of emphasize that NWA 80s <laughs> <Yeah>. feel. <laughs> what a pop they got though. I didn't Huge. know they were going to be on this show. They went crazy. That was fun though, when they saved Bradshaw. Well, what was even more bizarre, I didn't realize how much bigger, like Hawk and Animal, they aren't small dudes as JR mentioned. Bradshaw is literally a good head above Hawk. Yeah, he mentioned that. It's like, look at Bradshaw. Look at how he towers over the LOD. He actually did. It's <laughs> insane. Bradshaw is gigantic. And you forget how how um how much they like everyone always said Chris Jericho was one of the guys first guys that coined it when he said that WWE was land of the giants. Yeah. It really was. It really was. Could you imagine Chris Benoit in the ring standing with Bradshaw? <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. It would be just bedlam um we get to another backstage segment it is triple h backstage with michael cole now triple h talks a lot about uh, he talks so much smack about who will fill in for hbk says no one's going to take the place of the heartbreak kid so triple h then declares it's going to be a handicap match and probably you know like at this point in time knowing what happens towards the end i'm like yeah you probably should have called it a handicap <laughs> match <laughs> but the part that stood out to me WWF officials will appoint someone if they don't. And Triple H goes as far to say, it doesn't matter who you put in that ring, uh, we will win. Like, you can put anyone in that ring. Yeah. Which I I, thought was important. I thought that was important and a good promo. And it made sense from their standpoint because, you know, DX didn't really like anybody else. Uh, It would have been out of character for them to say, oh, we're just going to go pick another bad guy or whatever. Uh, Triple H's promo here, though, We've seen him get better and better. He cut a good promo at DX in your house against Sergeant Slaughter. It's crazy how the moment they dropped the, you know, the accent and the blue blood gimmick right away with a promo like this, you're like, oh yeah, he's going to be a world champion. Like, why wouldn't he be? He's amazing in this little segment. And it's so night and day, isn't it? It's just literally like someone flicked a switch on him in the back, (laughs) uh, like the evil crusty style. (laughs) Um, I haven't written any notes for the next bit. I've written one, but I'll get to that in a tick. But then we're backstage with the Nation of Domination where they're doing an interview. And very, this is where that famous rock, the gift of the rock, like, you know, like <laughs> kind of yeah. comes from. But all I can say is there is, there is people that, there are people that steal segments and steal the show. The rock towers <laughs> over everyone else in this. Like it is so good what rock does by saying absolutely nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I wrote my note here is Nation Promo, the one with the gif. <laughs> like, you <Yes>. know. <laughs> and yeah, The Rock does the, you know, that eye roll gif that you roll. see. But the whole time, because uh, I forget who it is, Kevin Kelly or Cole, they're like, yeah. and we want to hear from the leader of the nation. And The Rock starts talking, but then Farouk <laughs> takes over. And when Farouk takes over, The Rock is just mugging to the camera, pointing at himself, popping his pecs you know, just mouthing catchphrases, basically calling himself the people's champ and everything else. It's so good. The Rock, and that's funny seeing Triple H and The Rock do promos back to back. You're like, oh yeah, there it is. There's the future of wrestling right there. Mm. 
Uh, it's just so good. The one note that I have written down, uh, I saw two notes actually, is The Rock steals this segment. And when they do a replay of what happened on Raw, when The Rock gives a chair shot to Ken Shamrock, oof, that is, that, that's, a sh- that's a chair shot and a half, isn't it? There are two famous chair shots that The Rock gives Ken Shamrock. This was one of them. The other one is he gives it to him like on his knees, but straight on. I just wrote, yeah, we see Shamrock get smacked with a chair by The Rock as is tradition. It feels like anytime you see these guys in the ring, Poor Shamrock is just getting his head caved in. Uh, But you know what? This led to a match that I didn't remember, um, but I really enjoyed. I don't know why every time we see the nation in a multi-man match, it's surprisingly fun. And this was another one. Very much so. So this is a war of attrition match. I don't even know why they needed the label because I didn't really see any form of like, yeah, I thought there was a gimmick when they said that. I thought, oh, maybe it's elimination like Survivor Series, but it wasn't. It was just a, a 10-man tag. Especially when when King's spending so much time asking JR, what's the definition of attrition? Tell us that what attrition was funny. means. And JR honestly paused for a minute. I don't know if someone in his headset saved his ass and they were laughing off camera, <laughs> but it was pretty funny that King was like, you don't even know what it means. So so uh, you got Farouk. The Rock, Karma Mustafa, D'Lo Brown, and Mark Henry versus Ken Shamrock, Ahmed Johnson, and the Disciples of Apocalypse. There is a massive Rocky Sucks chant to begin. D'Lo and Skull start this. And there's so, the thing I love about this match is there's so many little mini feuds like Mark Henry and Ahmed Johnson in there. Uh, you got The Rock versus Shamrock, which clearly is, you know, that's the main event sort of um kind of feud there because the crowd even when they look at each other the crowd just goes absolutely crazy there you also this is another gonna put the hands up i know that we're very biased when we talk about d'lo brown but if you if you can find someone that can say that d'lo brown was not the star of this match oh he gets better and better he kind of held this match together at some points he was really good we see him hit the frog splash here and we see him do a lot of really good stuff i thought d'lo stood out Ken Shamrock stood out, uh, The Rock, obviously. And honestly, mm. Ahmed Johnson is another guy who's like, oh, he was still over at this point. The crowd yeah. was into him. And he was actually from Texas too, or at least, you know, he trained there at least with Booker and uh, Stevie Ray as they were coming up too. But man, the crowd was still into it. When him and Mark Henry got in the ring for their little face-off and Ahmed slammed Mark Henry like he was nothing, the crowd yeah. was going nuts. And Mark Henry's just a couple of years fresh from the Olympics as well, too. He's ditched that god-awful uh, American flag sort of uh, attire that he had. He, Mark Henry joining the nation is the best thing that ever happened to his career. So Him good. becoming sexual chocolate is probably the worst thing that ever happened to his career, but that's another, that's another story. Another cool thing that I noticed, um, another fun bit was when both commentators didn't know if it was Skull or 8-Ball in the ring. because I, I would. There was also one point where they were like, oh, yeah, that's Chains in the ring. It's not Chains if it's a bald guy. (laughs) They don't care about the DOA. Uh, Another one. Yeah, once Crush left, they checked out. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. (laughs) There was another cool bit. So um, where the rock does the people's elbow on either Skull or 8-Ball, no idea which one it was. Notice how there was absolutely zero reaction to it. The Rock stuck with it. He was like, this yeah. is going to get over. Trust me. He didn't take the elbow pad off. I reckon that was a big um, a big 
point in making the crowd pay attention to that move because you're mm. like, oh, what's he doing? You know, um, but anyway, JR says, oh, you know, it's not about style here in the World Wrestling Federation. He's like, I'd give that a 9.5 for style, but what a silly move. Little yeah. did he know. Yeah. Um, I- <laughs> Until until the worm came in, it was <laughs> yeah, exactly. the most ridiculous move there. Did you notice there was that cloning joke from King as well? Something about cloning the eight ball and skull. Well, no, he he mentioned. What do you think the Rock's uh, thoughts on cloning are? And that that had me that had me pausing for a little bit. But then I remembered. Uh, so nineteen ninety eight. Remember Dolly the sheep? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So this is Dolly the sheep era. Yeah. Okay. But the but the thing is it's almost like King was going to set up that line for, um, you know, talking about Skull and Eight Ball being clones, but got interrupted. And then he revisits it later because it just seems so out of place where he goes, what do you think the rock things about clo- uh, cloning? And then refers to about two seconds, uh, like about a segment or so later. It was just one of the weirdest things. Out. And, and it just reminded me, as you sort of said with the Clinton references, like King always throws in some form of pop culture reference in all of these pay-per-views and the cloning one, Probably you should have uh, skipped that one. Oh, yeah. There was another match where he referenced Chumbawamba and getting knocked down and getting up again. So, yeah, he was all over it. He was on the <laughs> pulse of pop culture. Um, so it's, uh, like I sort of said, an absolute schmoz finish towards the end. It's the Rock and Shamrock at the end. The Rock taps out to the ankle lock and Shamrock is victorious for the team. Post-match, though, we see our first set of descent, like visible descent between the Rock and Farouk. Even D'Lo sort of gets involved a little bit, but, um, and it's a, like, you can feel that the, the crowd is ready to accept the rock as a face. But when, when the nation leaves as a unit towards the end, they still go back. They sort of revert back to the Rocky sucks setting. Yeah. And it honestly felt like, especially in the post-match that Farouk is good hit as he was in like the leadership role. He was starting to feel redundant in the nation. Because it did make more sense for The Rock to take over and sort of lead them, which he would in a couple of months. Um, But again, good build. And I really like when I was thinking about it, now that we've watched these pay-per-views in order, I love how they've been building Shamrock and The Rock. This has been going on since Survivor Series. Every pay-per-view or, you know, aside from DX. Um, But yeah, as the months have gone on, they keep building it. You know, they had a singles match at the Royal Rumble, but that wasn't the blow-off. They had this match to keep it going. We saw Shamrock get revenge and, you know, The Rock tapped out here. So this is going to lead to WrestleMania. What a great intercontinental title feud. And, you know, the Shamrock obviously looks back on this. It was important for The Rock, his first big feud as a, as a heel. Really, mm. really good. And honestly, the reaction from when they all get into the ring to brawl and then Shamrock makes The Rock tap out, you could have thought this was the main event, the way the crowd reacted to it. It was massive. Yeah, and it goes back to what we were sort of saying. Even though everyone wasn't a star, like no one was on Austin's level, everyone still had a level of, you know, you, you care for them. Yeah. Uh, which, which is something that is severely missing right now. Then, speaking of Austin, we get to a Stone Cold backstage promo and he has got the most Austin-esque babyface promo I can get. It was a good Cause one. Because it's not really a babyface promo, but... For Austin, it is. Yeah, because they were like, oh, Steve, you're in your hometown. How do you feel about that? And he had to say, like, oh, I don't care as long as I whoop someone's ass. I don't care where I am. But it's extra special to do it where you're from. You know, that was as yeah, close yeah. as he can get saying, you know, I love Texas. The thing that stood out for me, too, 
He was wearing a stone cold polo shirt. Where do I get one of those? It had the yes. little just stone cold logo on like the breast, but it was a polo shirt. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, that is like it's you know it's sitting there. So it's like you'll see it pop up on like Instagram, like how the old um you can I I saw a few uh, years ago that the cameraman jumpsuit oh, that the uh, that um the old school WWF ones that the one that um. Famously at Bad Blood, Shawn Michaels took out the cameraman. The big blue jumpsuit um, type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Like a boiler suit. But um, uh, we get to a, a next, a, a, just a little factoid here. So JR announces that there is, it's an attendance record at the building, which is 16,110 people there, which beat the Rolling Stones who were there on Tuesday and Thursday. Yep. Take that, Mick Jagger. I thought, you know what I thought was cool about that though? We're really seeing that the WWE is catching fire again. You know, in 96, crowds were small. We made note of how some of the buildings were kind of small for a pay-per-view. Here, they're selling out multiple times in these big places. It looks great. Yeah, and it, it feels like the worm has, it's still turning ever so slowly, but you can really see the momentum build here because I'm pretty sure Nitro is still winning in the ratings at the moment. Um, they've got one more month yeah of the um, three weeks and there is a really cool little promo video for vader that comes up too and the thing that i really appreciated about it was most of the footage was pretty recent like there's no 96 stuff there's the only time you could tell is when there's the three colored ropes but most of it's fairly recent and it makes vader look like an absolute dominant monster yeah, so this is the video for Vader versus Kane, and the video package made it look like a pretty fun feud. We saw them, you know, brawling, and we see Vader use a fire extinguisher, and they really did a good job of building up again. You know, all of these guys that Kane is just running through, and he's eventually going to get to The Undertaker. So to make Kane look unstoppable, he had to go through Vader, another guy who's mm. been billed as, you know, a monster. But they in the feud we see that they were kind of neck and neck and especially yep. this face vader who the crowd really gets into um i thought it was a he was the right opponent here yeah and through that little video package two things that really sort of stood out for me that was really amusing was um that when they were talking about how like kane got rid of the undertaker how in they cut to like footage of like a really sad lady like holding a sign <laughs> which is pretty cool and the other thing that just popped me Vader fighting off Kane, you know, who so famously is associated with fire, with a fire extinguisher. Perfect. It makes sense because in <laughs> Vader's mind, he thought, how do I put out this guy with a fire extinguisher? And also so the good. commentary of multiple times made note of, um, you know, oh, the fire extinguisher got in Kane's eye. He only mm. has one good eye because this is when Kane would wear, you know, one contact with the mask on. I thought that yeah. was a nice character touch too. Because like maybe that's his only weakness. Mm. One one thing that I loved uh, before we get to the match is Jr. had enough time to sneak in a Western Union live rate, uh, <laughs> and that's just, that's just the little radio side of me popping at the like you could hear someone in probably Jr. He goes just read the, read the thing about the blimp, the blimp, <laughs> talk about the blimp. <laughs> we told him we'd do four in the pay per view. Quick now, get it out. <laughs> It was interesting because they don't really do that anymore like within the the context of a show. They mm. might do it when they just cut to the commentators, but a few times in this show, during a match, JR would work in a reference to transferring yeah. money, you know? 
One thing, and I'm getting sidetracked here, but it's something that you need to, a rabbit hole you need to go down. Uh, you remember how Raw during that era had uh, like a daily sponsor, like Monday Night Raw is brought to you by Snickers. Da, 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 da. There is a compilation on YouTube of JR doing all of those ones. And like, oh. you know, and it's like Castrol, GTX, all this stuff. But the best one is the Skittles one. Because the way that JR says, Skittles, taste the rainbow. Yeah, yeah, no, the Skittles ones were the best where he was like, fruity, delicious, Skittles. Yeah, yeah they were all awesome. <laughs> JR just, yeah, loved those. Good. Yeah, there are no half measures with Jim Ross. Um, <laughs> uh, so we get to the match. And like you mentioned, there is a huge pop for Vader. People love Vader. Like, it's so good. He's one of those guys you wouldn't expect that because you know he's I, been pushed I did not as expect a heel it. the whole time, mm. but mm. it's almost like maybe he'd be more over as a face. And honestly, in the context of the WWE, from what we've seen, he kind of was more over as a face. Mm. So yeah, because and that's the thing. Like in hindsight, like probably rewatching all these pay-per-views have been really good because in my mind, from when I watched it, there was Vader in '96. His push got stalled. Then he's the, I'm the fat piece of crap, you know, that Vader. Like, yeah. that's you've, this entire run. Like, I di- could not remember him being this over, but every time I see him, it always pleasantly surprises me. Speaking of which, I did like how Kane is bigger than Vader. And this is also, is this the first match where they don't have the red light for Kane? Um, they didn't have the red lights. Oh, like, during the match, I mean, because, like, because, at Survivor Series, when he was against Mankind, that was all bathed in red light. Yeah, you know what? You might be right. Did he have a match at DX? No, he didn't. He interfered in hmm. Jeff Jarrett versus The Undertaker. Yeah. yeah and okay. then at the Royal Rumble, I don't think he just came out at the end and set fire to the casket. Yeah. I think someone probably went, okay, I think we're done with the." Yeah, like, hey, this is kind of crap to watch. Yeah. And then they brought it back with Sin Cara. Did no one learn the lesson that you can't watch a match with lights? No. Now, Sin Cara was gold lighting. Oh, different. sorry. <laughs> different, completely different idea. Uh, but Vader gets a surprisingly good amount of offense in this match too. Yeah, he really does. It was interesting what they did with Kane. It wasn't a matter of him squashing guys. It was building it that you can't hurt him. He's like a horror movie villain. You can shoot him 10 times in the chest, stab him in the face, and somehow he miraculously makes a comeback. And that's Kane in this match. He takes a beating. None of it hurts him. He gets powerbombed. He gets fire extinguished again. He gets thrown (laughs) into the outside. He gets moonsaulted on. We even see Vader hit the moonsault. And Kane just sits up from everything. He even gets powerbombed. Yeah. After the extinguisher, he gets powerbombed. And Kane just sits up again, like you're right, like a like a. But this is one of the few times we've seen a match um, where Kane actually gets knocked flat in his back. Yeah, that's true. That might be the first time anyone's really knocked him down. And again, slowly building it in your mind that okay, mankind couldn't hurt him with weapons. Vader mm. can't hurt him, even though he hit the power move. So what on earth does the Undertaker have to do to beat this guy? Yeah, and at this point in time, Undertaker's still out of action now because he was set fire to He's gone. Um, at, the, at the Royal Rumble. And the cool thing that I, I still, I keep saying this, but I love Kane's variation of the tombstone where uh, it's just so clean. And the fact that he sort of does the, the cross arms as opposed to crossed across the chest, 
Like it's just, it just looks cool. It's dominant. And I love that. A nice touch and watching all this back, the presentation of early Kane from his debut to here, it's all perfect so far. Just everything Mm. feels really thought out. And, you know, the attention to detail is second to none. Compare that with someone in WCW who's new, like Goldberg, where they haven't even figured out is he a heel? Is he a face? What's his deal? Do we call him Bill? Does he have a first name? Doesn't he? You know, mm. With Kane, yeah. they were like, okay. And look, we're saying this, sure. He was a dentist and he was fake diesel. But if we're taking <laughs> just Kane, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Third time is a charm. <laughs> yeah, there you uh, go. In, terms of, in terms of Glenn Jacobs there. Uh, so an interesting one to post-match, Kane takes out Vader with a wrench in one of the most brutal shots I've ever seen. Like it looked really good. And the fact that I liked that you needed essentially an army of medics and Sergeant Slaughter to get um, Vader out of the match. Uh, so yeah. out of the ring. Yeah. It took ages for them to get him on a stretcher and wheel him out. And the announce team was super serious about it. But again, you then saw the you know brutality of Kane. Not only will he take a beating, he'll then smash your face in with a wrench. So Mm. he's on a path of destruction. What a great build to WrestleMania with him and The Undertaker. Yeah, we get a cheeky little WrestleMania preview, but J.R. King, I thought this is really cool. They do that, an update on Vader post-match, and J.R. sort of of wraps what we've seen at the pay-per-view and just talk about all the carnage, like we've seen Thrasher get stitches, all of this and that. And um, they still keep shilling, you know, who is the 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 um the mystery guy that will fill in for Shawn Michaels, they do stress that WWF officials will pick the eighth man, which I think is their get out of jail card here. But um, we get to the video package and throughout the entire package building up the main event, I thought it was fantastic. But it's still built for Shawn is in that main event, isn't it? Yeah, they kind of changed the voiceover a little bit, saying, "Oh, Shawn will be you know leading from the sidelines," but obviously he was meant to be part of the match. And this is the part of me that went back to the little kid watching this and just being so angry because Mm. the match, like, I don't want to jump too far ahead. The match is really, really fun. I didn't expect Mm. it to be. It's entertaining, but imagine you had Shawn Michaels in there. I reckon this would have been an all-time classic that you would think back of as being this kind of revolutionary, crazy kind of match because it kind of was. It's ahead of its time. But the missing ingredient is... Shawn Michaels because it was meant to be the two WrestleMania main eventers before their one-on-one match they're both leading a team and it's in Texas where they're both from it was too Mm. perfect and they fumbled for you know different like Shawn was injured what can you do but it's a shame just extending on what you said there as I was watching this match I I, I was running through and everything you said there is spot on and it dawned on me why if Shawn was there what match this would succeed like supersede this would be the the match that one ups the 10 man at canadian stampede yeah you know what they almost were going for that you're right actually i never thought of that because it was only when i'm watching it yeah yeah now imagine we had Shawn michaels and austin who are both from texas they're both the main event yeah it would have been another level Oh, this would have just blown <laughs> Canadian Stampede out of the water. Everyone talks about Canadian Stampede. If HBK was in this match, everyone would be talking about No and, Way Out 1998. Just think about it. Like Terry Funk is the X Factor, but let's face it, it's Terry Funk and it's Shawn Michaels. But look at the other three guys. If you name three of Shawn Michaels' best opponents who he has chemistry with, 
McFoley, Steve Austin, Owen Hart. He would have been, gone in and rotated through all of them. Him and Terry Funk, again, two Texas legends. That would have been mm. fun. You would have had complete DX, as we've mentioned before. We would have seen DX and the Outlaws team up. It's a shame, but I don't want to just, you know, talk about what if. I yeah. still thought watching it, you know, fresh, this main event was pretty fun. Mm. And on the flip side of that too, you've got Stone Cold Steve Austin, the hottest baby face on the roster against four of the biggest heels on the roster. Like it, it was, it had money and, you know, there's a mirror alternate universe where, uh, you know, this is, this is the match that everyone's talking about to the Canadian stampede. But uh, the thing I enjoyed road dog talk smack on the entrance, like he has really nailed it. We talk about how long it took to see, you know, the final formation of stone cold, Steve Austin. It really, really took a lot of months. Like we saw him with stone cold on his trunks. We saw him kind of have the vest, Saw him when his goatee wasn't connected. Yeah. There were so many little intricacies where it was just like, ah, look, whereas it seems that Road Dog has nailed it in in the matter of like three months. I'll say he's 95% Road Dog. I'm taking a few points away because when he's doing his introduction, I thought the same thing. I I thought Road Dog's there. This is perfect. He got it backwards. He said the badass Billy Gunn, then the road dog, Jesse Jane. Mm. No, mm. he figured out it sounds better the other way. <laughs> you know, exactly. it was, you yeah. can't ch- chant along that way. But anyway, it was good. And and, it, and let's face it, it was a lot better when he's a face as well. So when, when you can get the, the new age outlaw, you know, that kind of, with that cadence. But um, We're like two months away from it. <laughs> it's, yeah, you know, yeah. It. Um, Triple H gets the DX intro as well. The full sort of uh, him and Sean kind of thing there, which would have, been pretty cool and did you notice is this triple h's first water spit is this like the beta version of it oh you're right he definitely did it in the lead up to you know the making it a big part of it this could have been one of the first times Mm -hmm. because when he did because when he did i was just like are you 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 just tried that didn't you you're 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 not you're trying to figure out the intricacies here it's interesting that triple h's entrance is one of the most iconic of all time he doesn't really do much. He has a bottle of water and flashing lights. He doesn't mm. have pyro, you know, doesn't do anything. It's just theatrical. He knows what yeah. he's doing. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because do you remember, uh, I can't remember, it was two years ago, maybe a year ago, when they were celebrating Triple H's like 25th anniversary, how he came out to my time? Did he? Uh, yeah, I can't remember what pay per view it was, or I think it was actually on a Raw. It was one of those. It was, it was a pandemic era Raw or SmackDown, because he comes out to my time and there's no audience there, which is a, a hell of a shame. Look that up afterwards. But he, you talk about the theatrics of it, the fact that he's got two different sort of intros, like you know the my time Triple H and you know uh, the game Triple H, even even as far as like he's got a theme for when he's an authority figure and a theme for when he's a wrestler. Like he does pay a lot of attention to these one percenters, but yeah, I think it's triple H's 25th anniversary uh, intro, but look that one up afterwards. But so you can, one thing that I did love, so all the DX is in the ring. Howard Finkel is about to announce. He's about to announce who is the fourth man on the team. He's like from Los Boricuas. Savio Vega, and you could feel the air being sucked out of the room. The crowd definitely was a little bit annoyed here because mm. I don't know what they were expecting, but they weren't expecting Savio Vega. 
The crowd no. comes back into it big time, but this was definitely a bit of a oh, really oh yeah. Let, let's let's actually because when you think about it, there's probably a reason why, and you think like you know like oh well you know it's it's all easy to say in hindsight like well what were they expecting da 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 but like. This is the Monday Night Wars. This is like, you know, people are jumping from WWE to WCW, from ECW. People are debuting left, right, and center. Like, even if the Sandman came out, the crying out loud, people would be like, oh, this is awesome. I can't believe they did this. Or people were probably in their mind, like, I'm pretty sure it's Kevin Nash. And hotlines and dirt sheets would probably be like teasing so much stuff like, oh, well, we've heard that Raven maybe his contract is up with, you know, there'd be so much rumor and innuendo that when Savio Vega comes out, and they haven't even cued his music properly. No, which I guess made it feel more real. But then again, mm-hmm. did they think there was going to be a big pop so they didn't want to hit the music right away? Yeah. <laughs> like, we'll get that Savio reaction. I don't know. You hear some of the old guys talk about it, that when you're replacing someone, it's got to be someone who's you know more shocking or like a bigger star. Savio Vega. And Shawn Michaels basically don't even go in the same sentence. I don't think we've seen them interact in like <laughs> three years. They, they might as well not even be on the same show. Yeah, yeah. And the, the thing that I loved is, so at the start, they're trying to sort of, um, JR and King are doing their absolute best to sell like, oh, look, it's a WWF. This must have been who the WWF appointed. And then, yeah. and then <laughs> JR says a line, that unintentionally popped me, which was, well, what does this mean? What are the other Bariquas doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was trying to make it out like they might come out and that was the plan. And nah. uh, but yeah, it, it look, so we've established that it's a bit of a letdown that it's Savio Vegas. So let's get to the match because so Owen Hart comes out, massive pop for him. I love how they refer to him as the Black Heart, the sole survivor. Cactus and um, Chainsaw Charlie, aka Terry Funk, come out with as as um, Dusty Rhodes would say, an entire stack of plunder. They peg it into the ring, which I thought was pretty cool. And then there is a mega pop for Stone Cold Steve Austin, who just gets straight into it, just takes out Billy Gunn. And it's absolute bedlam. Absolute bedlam. And I don't know about you. Does it look like Stone Cold is having the time of his life here? Oh, man, this was so fun. And yeah, you were kind of living through Steve Austin because... I know they're in Texas, but even if you take that away, no one was more over than Steve Austin. Like, they've made the right call pushing him to the WrestleMania main event. (laughs) And this match, it's non-sanctioned, anything goes. So for about the first 10 minutes, there's no tagging. They're just in the ring and around the ring, smashing each other with weapons. And Steve Austin in particular is just going nuts on everyone. He's breaking, uh, you know, bin lids and... and, uh, just everything broom handles chairs it's so fun it's great it is so cool the, the how he smacks the broom handle over tri- over triple h's back and and we see like just chair shots in the background it's it is there's too much going on there is too much going on savia vega actually gets the first bit of off- the offense on stone cold steve austin did you notice that i didn't notice that but that, that's fair because, you know, Savio and Steve Austin feuded a couple of years ago. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, all I'm going to say, Savio actually brought his A game in this game, in this match. I thought that too. Again, watching it, you know, obviously knowing how it all turned out, Savio Vega actually did hold up his end. He even busted out barbed wire. And you know what? That's the first time we ever saw barbed wire in the WWE. Savio mm. Vega, an innovator. <laughs> 
he's rapping he, he raps cactus jack and the thing i loved about that entire segment is uh that segment of the match is jr and king this is where they when jr and king are both on the same page it really underlines just you know how vicious or whatever's happened whatever how dramatic whatever's going on in the ring is and i thought that was really really cool but um it's a brutal spot because even after cactus jack gets rid of the barbed wire you can see it come out of his flesh it's so just mick foley's a is an absolute nutcase. <laughs> it's wrapped up. It's all over his shirt. It's ripping into it and into his skin, like you said. But while he's wrapped in the barbed wire, every guy on the apron hits him. And Triple H hits Cactus Jack with a chair just straight in the head. Foley mm. can't get his arms up because they're tied up in barbed wire. And it is brutal. But again, yeah, he's, he's, it's a home run. Era. <laughs> yeah, it was a home <laughs> run into his head. <laughs> Um, but like the entire thing, this is it's it really is just you can't do I I feel for anyone trying to do play by play for this match because there was so much stuff going on. But um, this all leads to a hot tag to Stone Cold Steve Austin, and my god, does the roof almost come off there because he cleans house and then it's just bedlam again. Yeah, that was kind of a, an interesting choice, but I think it was the right thing to do. So even though there are you know, no rules, they don't have to tag, but because they reset and everyone gets on the apron, they can then build to a hot tag with Stone Cold. And like you said, when he gets it, they go nuts. Mm. You know, Everything gets wild again. There's a big brawl. And in that chaos, Austin hits a stunner on the road dog to one of the biggest pops of the night. I won't say it's the biggest because that's actually coming after the match. <laughs> But what a fun ending to a fun match. We can't do it justice and explain every spot in this match. No, you've, because you've got it to watch just it. Absolute chaos. And yeah, sure, it could have been better with Shawn Michaels. But if we take it for what it is, it's one of the craziest main events we've watched so far doing this show. And, and the crowd does, the disappointment of seeing Savio Vega out there, I almost feel like that pretty much lit a fire in him at the moment because like it was just because there who was who would be there is no you can't replace Shawn Michaels as Triple H when said and the match would have been cheapened if it was a four on uh sorry three. Yeah, a three on four yeah. like it, it just it just wouldn't have had the same sort of cadence to it but yeah Austin Clean's house gets the win it is just a phenomenal effort there at the end and it's stun as a go-go and then we get to the post-match segment which is Interesting to watch in 2022, but let's dial it back to 1998 because it's a confrontation between China and Austin. And China has been a thorn in everyone's side from about mid-1997. And she has got no retribution at all, ever. Nothing. She's, you know, we've seen her ragdoll Marlena. We've seen her hit people with weapons, low blows, cheating, doing everything she can, body slamming people on the outside. Nobody has gotten any revenge on China. So mm. this was, you know, almost a year in the making. So China is in the ring. She does a little confrontation with Stone Cold Steve Austin. She's talking smack. Austin's just trying to defuse the situation and leave. Um, he does this multiple times until eventually China gives him the double bird. <laughs> well, she she pushed him twice she pushed him, yeah, when he yeah. told her to stop. They built the tension. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, it's it's giving giving her the uh, the middle finger twice. That's uh, what he her giving him the middle finger is the thing that pushes him over the edge, and he gives us one of the biggest stunners. It's it's just a regulation stunner, but the pop is massive. Yeah, this was next level. Like we've had some big reactions on the show. This was insane. And you could see how hyped up he was after he hits the stunner. He does, you know, like a famous head shake and he's gesturing everywhere to the crowd. And just, yeah, it was one of those, yeah, moments. I think very, this was very a cool. highlight, you know, for ages mm. that they would show in videos. And, and JR sells it, stunner to China, stunner <laughs> to China. Like, it's just like, it, it is, yeah, you're right. It's definitely one of those highlights for the ages. But um, it, it it wraps up and caps off a solid pay-per-view because the next stop is WrestleMania 14. But uh, I've got to say, top to bottom, a surprisingly good pay-per-view. The only, the yeah. only downside is that Quebecers match versus the Godwins, but you forget about it so easily. Everything else is that good. Oh, that match didn't matter like 10 minutes after it. It was like, oh, yeah, onto some other weird, crazy stuff with, you know shenanigans and shenanigans was the name of the game for this show <laughs> didn't even matter that the wrestling you know might not have been perfect who cares this this mat this show every match had something happen after it whether mm. it was a run-in or you know some revenge or a comeuppance or a brawl and it was awesome it felt like a show it wasn't just a series of matches for no reason and it ended on the you know highest of highs and that's all you could want from a lead into WrestleMania show. Hmm. And it was also because we've seen, we've seen since about Capital Carnage last, not Capital Carnage, sorry, one night only last year, DX has been standing tall at yeah. the end of every single pay-per-view. And finally, like you sort of said, it's almost about a year of buildup in the making that, um, that DX have finally got their comeuppance, but they haven't quite. And in a way, it kind of makes a little bit of poetic, it kind of fits perfectly the story that Sean isn't here because he finally gets his comeuppance at WrestleMania. Like inadvertently, it's a perfect story. Yeah. Well, Austin didn't lay a finger on him. He can say, you know, you beat the other guys. You didn't beat me. And I guess mm. that's kind of where they go. Yeah. So uh, like a top to bottom, pretty good pay-per-view there. You don't really have to sit like the Quebecers match. It's a perfectly serviceable match, but um you know, you're not missing anything if you if you choose to skip it. But uh, uh, if we if we go on MVPs, is there anyone that you could say that's not Stone Cold Steve Austin? Yeah, it's got to be Steve MVP. Austin. But just being the glue in that main event and just holding it together and getting reactions that yeah, he, there's a reason why he was the biggest star of all time. Just mm. watch him in this match. And you know what? It's interesting. He's obviously post injury here, and yeah, he can't be as you know athletic and technical as he was before. But his brawling in this match reminds you of like, that's what became his calling card. How energetic yeah. he was just as a brawler. He doesn't do any moves, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and he's, he's sort of five moves of doom. If you know, like the stunner, the kick, to, um, the, the Luther's press, all those little things. This, the, he finds a, a routine that works and he makes it his, which is you know pretty good. And, and it's such a shame that, I don't think that the the super duper technical wrestler pre SummerSlam Austin could have been as successful as this one. Yeah, he might have toned that down anyway. So who knows? Mm. It was one of those just weird things happenstance, and it kind of worked out. Yeah, but um, look, this a solid paper. It's a it's I'd say it was a hidden gem. 
go out of your way. Don't actually, yeah, go out of your way to watch it. You've got to sort of watch this after the Royal Rumble. Like the Rumble, No Way Out, and WrestleMania 14. It's like a companion piece of each. Yeah, there are some years when the WWE gets those three pay-per-views right. When they get the Royal Rumble, the Fed pay-per-view, and WrestleMania right, it's awesome to go back and just watch it all together because this is one of those years where they tell a perfect story for, you know, three months. Yeah, uh, and it's a solid run. You, you almost have to say they only stopped doing that once WCW went out of business because when you think about it, so Royal Rumble 99, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and then WrestleMania 15. Yeah, true. perfect That's little story. Yep. Then you go, then you go 2000, the 2000 Royal Rumble, No Way Out 2000 with the Cactus Jack retirement match. Yep. They do crap the bed at WrestleMania 2000, but they always do a make good at Backlash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one you've got to add Backlash to it because Backlash <laughs> really was like, all right, we'll fix it, and they did. It's like, sorry guys, we <laughs> our bad, <laughs> and it ends. So Royal Rumble 2001, where Austin wins. No Way Out 2001, where Rock wins the title, and then WrestleMania 17. 2001 might be the best one, because when I was, yeah, as you're going through them, that is an insane run of pay-per-views there, those three together. We'll uh, get to it in a few years. We'll, so We will get to that too. And uh, and then I guess you could, uh, you could argue maybe that um, 2002's Royal Rumble with Triple H coming back, NWO debuts in in february and then wrestlemania 18 it's but, a messy one but they yeah it all kind of comes together it's definitely good but it's yeah it's... and then surprisingly uh no actually it, the run actually continues quite well because wrestlemania 19 in 03 i can't remember who wins the rumble in 03 oh it's brock lesnar yeah actually that's not a bad one no way out 2003 <laughs> has the return of steve austin and the return of the rock and hulk hogan yeah. And it all and then leads the picture for 19. Okay, maybe. Right. That's the, well, you know, we'll, we'll obviously delve into all of those. Uh, the lesson the here is watch the first three months of the WWE every year <laughs> and then just stop. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I, I really think that that's, uh, that's pretty much what a lot of people did back in that day, WrestleMania yeah. season. But um, hey, look, this go out of your way to try and track this down because it's, it's actually quite a good top to bottom pay per view. And uh, Savio. I hope you'd uh, you know accept our apologies and our forgiveness because you you held up your end of the bargain in the main event, man. <laughs> he really did the last hurrah for Savio Vega. He was in a main event of the pay per view and he, he did all right. Did all right there, but um, uh, look, our next edition of Reliving the War will be WCW Super Brawl Eight. Uh, our buddy Owen will jump on board, and then we'll move on to WrestleMania. Well, we'll get Owen on board as well to because uh, I'm pretty sure it'll be the first time he's watched that pay per view. But uh, Summit, this has been a pretty fun pay per view. Uh, let's do it all again at Super Bowl. Yep, can't wait for WrestleMania 14, but I can definitely <laughs> wait for Super Brawl. <laughs> but yeah, remember if you want to catch up on any previous episodes, you can head to greywolfentertainment.net, follow Greywolf ENT on all of the socials, and we'll catch you next time on Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.